0: Hello everyone, (laughs) welcome to another episode of the celebration of singleness. (laughs) You know, yesterday we were talking about, um, you know, like euphoria and really like just being able to like really channel your relationship with God and not allowing that feeling to lead you in love. And today I don't, you know. It might seem like a totally separate topic, but today we're talking about conflict resolution and I kind of wanted to do it in two parts and um and so like this first part is kind of just just me today. <laughs> but again, uh look, if you guys have any questions, you could hit up my email. Again, I'm going to make it simple, but in the future, but right now my email is s h a m m a D-I-E-U-J-U S-T-E at Yahoo.com and hit me up. Ask me questions. Let me know about your situation. If you want any like advice or whatever, I'm always open, all right. Um now here I want to talk about like it's called like conflict resolution. And I kind of want to do for now I only plan two parts, but if we end up going a little bit further, then fine. But this has been like something that's been big for me in this season is um, for the past couple of months, I should say. Um, in the past, I think I was that argumentative person that would argue to the end of it because being right was so important. And then as I grew, as I grew, it just became more important to connect. And then the more important it became to connect, the more I started to realize that like um, arguing with people who wanted to be right, like how I used to be was just draining and something I just didn't want to be around anymore. And it was like, as I changed, God showed me where I came from to encourage me to keep going where he wants me to go in the future. And it was just a beautiful thing. But, um, you know, the one thing I want us to all think is like, what is your goal in conflict? Like when you're in conflict, what's the goal? And that was one of the things that I like had to sit there and ask myself, like, what's the goal when I'm having a conflict with somebody? Um, like, and what was it that started the conflict? You know, like, I tend to post some things on Facebook, and sometimes it causes a little bit of ruckus. But sometimes I always have to ask myself, well, what is it that's causing this person to react in this way? Um, You know, like, and I always have to think to myself, you know, sometimes some people get, they think that it has something to do with like, you know, who's president and things like that. And it's like, No, like, I think it's deeper than that. I think a lot of times the president might just represent something from your past, maybe. um, And he's just a really good trigger. And I think people see that as a bad thing. But perspective wise, I'm just a different person. I think anything that triggers you is not a bad thing, because I think God even uses the plans of the enemy to even glorify, you know, to bring glory. And I think that When I look at it like that, every circumstance, I see it, if it's God allowed, then there's purpose in it. And so that's always my my perspective. So to go back to the question is like, what is your goal with conflicts? And I feel like my goal is always to connect deeper than before. And I always say that any friend you have that you've had a conflict with and you were able to resolve it, I think, feels like a deeper friend all of a sudden. And so, and that's why I find that like I feel like a true mark of maturity is really just learning to resolve conflict, learning to accept that other people are different. I don't think everybody who's your friend has to think just like you. I think that's a form of immaturity. That's just my opinion. Um, but what type of things tend to, you know, like it's, it's just more to think about. Like what type of things lead us to conflict when we're communicating? And I think one of the things that I found is when I speak boldly, when I say things like about politics or, um, you know, everybody says, you know, you have to stay away from politics and any of those personal opinion stuff. But it's like for me, it's like, well, why is it because we're afraid of conflict? I think that's that's something that I had to get delivered of is the fear of conflict and feeling like you have to please man and. The fear of man is is at the root of that. It's like, you know, like I don't I feel like on the other side of conflict is connection. And I think that conflict gets a bad rap because we're all so afraid of the drama and the chaos because it reminds us of something. Um, but then the day I, I, I pray that just this episode just helps you to be able to look at conflict as something that's beautiful And that as you're able to mature and really listen and communicate in a way that um, still honors the person, I think it it helps you to grow. Um, You know, I can say that. Yeah, I'm going to keep asking certain questions because I want you to ask yourself this as well as me answering it is like, is it easy or hard for you to apologize and I will say that in the past, I struggled with apologizing because I always thought that it was something that made you weak. But, you know, I think one of the things I learned about just Jesus' posture is that Jesus led by example. And one of the things I learned is that, like, if you're going to lead by example, you got to do something first. Like, hanging out with my nep- nephews, I learned, like, you know, sitting there, like, you know, when you make comments, like, for instance, like, like, there's certain words that me and my sister don't like for them to say, like, freaking, like, anything that almost sounds a little too grown for a little kid to be saying, or a little too, like, you know, those words that you substitute for curses, um, and so, like, I said one of them. I think I said like freaking or something like that. My three-year-old nephew goes, stop saying that. Totally rebuked me. <laughs> it was so cute. And I looked at him and I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. And it's funny. It turned into a little discussion of somebody who posted it. It's like, you know, his post said, I believe in the old school ways where adults don't apologize to children. And... um that was his stance on it but the the post that he posted basically was talking about a parent who said that I apologize to my children when I'm wrong and he just felt like it was the total like that that was wrong and you know what's funny I thought to myself this is the problem is when we don't think we have to apologize and yet when you feel offended somebody owes you an apology and I thought to myself like how prideful Yeah, I'm saying, and I'm saying this from experience because I was once there. Like, this is just like how prideful of you to demand an apology of someone, but anytime you're wrong, it's like pulling teeth to get you to apologize. I really do believe that you attract what you are. If you're afraid to apologize, you're going to surround yourself with people who don't want to apologize or people who just apologize all the time and don't really mean it. And so that's why it's a big. it's like you know now it's easier for me to apologize however it doesn't mean that I apologize for every little thing I apologize and it's very thoughtful and it's methodic and it's very like thought out fully it's like I'm intentional about it like I went through some uh, phases recently where like you know I wanted to apologize to a couple of dudes and I'm going to mention a story a little later about how one of them went because it went incredible and I learned something about myself but first I want to talk about apology languages so again I keep talking about this book things I wish I'd known before we got married and I love this book because it really teaches me a lot and one of the biggest things that it taught me was about an apology language what is an apology language like we're all different Like, Your apology language is pretty much based on how you were raised and what you grew up seeing as an apology, rather than your parents apologizing to each other or your parents teaching you to apologize to someone. What did that look like? And that's how your apology language develops. And over time, there's a certain way that you know how to receive an apology that can restore connection. So the way that it was explained in the book is that Basically, whenever somebody violates you in some sort of way, it puts up an emotional barrier. And in order to bring down that emotional barrier and restore the connection, you have to speak the apology language of the person. So this is, I love this because this is more about love is not selfish, boastful, proud or rude. And I really think it brings the scriptures to life when you really have to be intentional about like how to apologize to the person. So um, one of the things that he mentions is the five different types of apology. Now, the first one is expressing regret. And the second one is accepting, apology, ex- accepting responsibility. And the third one is making restitution. The fourth one is genuine expressing of the desire to change the behavior. And the fifth and final one is requesting forgiveness. And, you know, like, the way that I thought about it, especially I'm a writer, so when I write out, I prefer to write out an apology to someone. But it's like, but when I do, um, I like to try and write out as much of that as I can. Like, you know, being able to express regret, taking responsibility for what I did wrong, and then making making restitution is more about, like, giving a gift or something like that or whatever, or doing something to make it up to the person. That I'll probably skip. (laughs) depending on who it is, and then, like, genuine expressing of desire to change the behavior, I'll do that, um, depending on how close we were before, and then requesting forgiveness and things like that, um, I don't always do that, really just depends on who it is, if we plan on being close again after the conflict, that's different, then you'll add, like, you know, a desire to change the behavior, and then requesting forgiveness might be necessary, but, um, but it's interesting because I've i been going through this phase for the last couple of months. And the closer I get to, um, you know, to marriage or whatever. And the more I grow in singleness, the more I realize how important it is to go back. <laughs> Follow track with me on this because this is going to be a lot. But to go back. And properly close the doors of anybody that you've either dealt with or an ex. And I found myself thinking about all these guys that I talked to and I just abruptly ended it or dishonored them in some sort of way. So I went through this phase where I called every single one of them or I spoke to one of them or I messaged some of them. And most of them I messaged because I like to write. And I just expressed What I felt like I did wrong and how I could have approached it differently and how I apologized for in every single thing I wrote to all of them is I apologized for dishonoring them. And in one particular situation, which I said I was going to mention later, um, is that, you know, I had one guy that I used to that I used to hang out with him and I used to hang out um, again. This is BC day. So like we used to smoke a lot together. And, you know, we were really cool. Nothing really happened in the beginning. We were just really friends for a while. And him and I were cool. And this was years ago, years ago. And we've had, like, you know, like, so many times where we used to chill. We used to chill a lot. And there was, like, one particular night where we were thinking about taking it to the next step. And then he just kind of just, like, made a demand on me that I was not willing to do and so we both had a prideful moment where it was just like oh screw that I ain't doing that and then he was like well fine screw you then and then we left and then we never spoke to each other again after that and um years later you know I guess he's watching me on Facebook and things like that and he hits me up and he's like yo your garden looks really cool give me some advice and um so I gave him advice or whatever and then I just say, you know, like, oh, I wanted to just, like, say to you, like, after we went back and forth for a while, um, I wrote to him after, like, a day of going back and forth. I was like, yo, I'm glad you hit me up because it crossed my mind a while back. And before I even say this part of the conversation, ironically, I had a dream about him a couple of months ago, and it kind of played out the way that it did in real life. Like, in the dream, um, we we were, basically I had a dream that it was him, right? Like that, basically I was, (laughs) this is going to sound so confusing because my dreams are so crazy. But like, I was the guy and he was the girl in the dream. Um, And I guess it was kind of like God helping me to have empathy for him and him to have empathy for me um, in the dream. So in the dream, I had his perspective. And in his perspective, he had, like, different girls that he was dealing with and then just switch, pass it on. And then he came across me where everything was a little bit more slower, a little bit, like, of a slower flame. Um, And the intimacy was really slow, and we never went anywhere, although it kind of got close. And then he kind of dismisses me. And then he goes over, dismisses me, goes over to the, um, like, and then... he goes over to a seating area where he's seated with like two other girls and a guy or whatever. And they're, he's just talking, having a good old time. And then the next person comes out and then he's comparing that person like, OK, I'm him. Sorry, I'm comparing this guy to him. And in my head, I'm just like, oh, my God, like I screwed that up. <laughs> and then he makes an attempt to try and get it back. Now in real life, because I know dream interpretation, and I know that sounded super, almost straightforward, but it wasn't. And it sounds super, but but as I break it down, it can sound confusing. Now in real life, I wasn't me, I was him. And in real life, he was actually me. And what God was doing in the spirit was causing us to empathize with one another because he wanted to kind of close that door with him and I. At the time, I didn't understand the depth of that. Um, and I knew that somehow he represented my husband and the timing of my husband. Cause what it was saying was that um, it would be someone who I would leave. And it wasn't until I would leave that the person would realize what they had. And it was funny cause back to the apology conversation him and I had um, was that he was like, um, I said to him, I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I felt like, you know, like I felt like back then I was expecting you to fulfill something like through um, sexual desire. We keep it real here. So through sexual desire, like I expected you to fulfill something in me that like I was looking for you to fulfill through that. And I feel like I might have projected a frustration of something that I expected you to fulfill that you had no business like that there was no way for you to fulfill. And I dishonored you emotionally and um, spiritually and mentally. And, um you know, and I want to apologize to you for that. And then, oh, my God, this is the part where it gets crazy, because I've never actually had a man apologize, according to my apology language in that way. And I've never had someone take full accountability for what he did. And... Um, And really apologize like that, much less like a black man. I've never actually had a black man take ownership, complete humility, and just apologize like that. Like, that was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And he said to me, you know, like, I had so many, like, I had put a demand on you that, like, you know, like, that wasn't really fair. And he was like, and I was, like, immature back then. And he was like, and unfortunately, I didn't give us a chance to even develop a relationship because I had kind of just like got stuck in my own ways and had to have it my own way. And, you know, and I apologize for that. And I was like, oh my God, that was the first time. And mind you, that day I had just finished a chapter of the apology. I didn't know. Um, I wish I knew, um, that apology is strength or whatever. And I had just finished reading that chapter. And literally right after that, I went through that that same day. And then I went back and remembered the dream. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the same thing in the dream. However, I felt like it was a marker of time that God was showing me that this is the same thing that's going on. That's about to happen in my other scenario. So because I I realized that there's a track record of my life where I give every situation my best shot. Um, I give it everything I have. But when I walk away, I'm gone. (laughs) And usually the guy usually comes up in regrets. And this is from my very first relationship to every guy I've talked to since. And I feel good about that only because I give my all to every single person I deal with. And you get the very best of me. And I feel good about that, according to what I can give at that time, of course. But I always feel good about that because when I walk away, I don't have to feel bad and I don't have to have no regret. And and at least when I have moments like this, it's just a matter of me apologizing for the last big blow-up. And so that was probably the best um, resolution, like conflict resolution that I've ever had. And he apologized as if the thing just happened. And mind you, this was years ago. This was probably the incident probably happened at least six or seven years before, like before this conversation. And it was just so crazy because we're apologizing as if like it happened yesterday. And that was part of the revelation that I just knew that God was really showing us like that he had given us empathy on each side. Like God helped me to understand that he was a That he was a broken man who was kind of just exploring what he felt like his need was. And, you know, and he didn't recognize the type of woman I was. And he was so used to getting his way that it wasn't until he passed me up that he realized the type of woman I was. But he couldn't see who you were because you couldn't even really see who you were. So God gave me the empathy to be able to really, like, understand and then it helped me to see, like, you know, the way that he saw me through his eyes. He saw me as a woman that, like, dang, like, I really screwed that up and I'll never be able to, like, fix that. Um, But I can fix it the best way I can through just at least, re- re- like, bringing resolution to the issue, which I feel like was such a manly thing of him to do. And it was just amazing um, to see how that came together the way that it did. Um, even if he was in a position to try and pursue anything at that point, because he's, you know, I believe he's I might be wrong, but I think he's I'm pretty sure he's married with a kid now. But I wasn't even interested in that way. It was just nice to kind of close the door properly. And that's what I loved the most. And it was such a quality that I saw that I didn't get before and that I didn't know that I needed in a relationship. And so, like, it's just the humility of a man. Like that, if he's going to lead me, he needs to lead with humility, right? Like one of the last acts that Jesus did as an example of humility, because you know what's so crazy about Jesus? I, I, I love Jesus. <laughs> and like, because I think he's just the coolest person ever. And there's always like something purposeful to him every single, like every single thing he does. And I thought it was interesting that like before he died, um, one of the last acts before he, well, before he even does the last act before he gets arrested is that, you know, the disciples are like fussing about, yo, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And then it's like Jesus's response. is like, you know, whoever tries to be the greatest is going to be the least and whoever's the least is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So not only does he throw them like the complete confusion, He's like, yo, you're trying to matter in this world. And when you try to matter in this world, you don't matter in the kingdom. But when you don't, when you don't make yourself matter in the world, you matter so much in the kingdom. And not only did Jesus mic drop on that, but his last act was to wash their feet. As an example of, this is me like doing an act of something that you would see from someone that doesn't seem to matter. Right. Like there actually are people who shine your shoes and all the other stuff and people who do your pedicures and things like that. And, yeah, we're cool with them now. But it's like at the end of the day, it's like it's it's looked at as like a a lower job. Like if I'm a millionaire, I'm not going to aspire to be a, a, a pedicurist. You know what I'm saying? So I might like own a couple of stores with pedicurists hired to work for me. You know what I'm saying? But. It's just so interesting, the picture that Jesus paints there. And it's just, and it goes back to our posture when we apologize and how we handle conflict. And I think that, you know, like any type of conflict, and this doesn't necessarily have to be an argument between um, a man and a woman or a man and man or a woman and woman. But what if it's an argument with you and a Christian or you and a non-Christian about your faith? It's like, do I sit there and I keep telling them what they did was wrong? Because I don't think that was the focus. Like, sure, is it important for people to know that we are sinful, that we are, you know, like, that in our nature and in our environment, our flesh wants to sin? Sure. But I think it's important to remember that you were once there. And um, I was watching this video where it was about this guy. Um, an evangelist that was basically expressing his anger about how he feels like there's a double standard, how when it comes to the gay community, why is it that you guys can put your flag up and force your beliefs in my face? But then when I speak my faith, it's um, um, S-H-I-T and all this other stuff. And, you know, like he made decent points, but I felt like his argumentative nature was more about being right than it was about connecting. And I think there was some people that made some points that weren't Christian that was so good. Because at the end of the day, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Jesus argued with religious people. He didn't argue with non-believers. You know, people who were non-believers and who were the most sinful were the ones that, the ones that he went out his way to encounter and he had the most powerful encounters with. And so... I think it's interesting, the twist and at times the way that we can be so religious. And I'm not taking any shots at this guy. I'm just saying that I thought it was a bit religious to sit there and argue with unbelievers about something that they haven't encountered. Right. So if we're talking about Jesus, Jesus, I believe you encounter Jesus. You can logic Jesus all you want, but then you end up like this guy where you think you have to beat someone over the head with a Bible in order to pull them into relationship with God. And that's just not how it works. And but I I really believe that you need to create space for people to encounter the Lord. You know, I'm proud to say that I've been like close best friends with like people who were gay um, my best friend's Muslim, and it's all these things. And it's like, how do you be able to balance that and grow at the rate that you grow? Number one, I completely talk about my prophetic experiences the same way I talk to my any of my other friends at church is the same way I talk to my best friend. And she's learned to accept that about me. And I always hang out with her during the celebrations and I hear out her beliefs and things like that. And, and we've learned to just kind of accept that about each other. And it's like, you know what I mean? And I just think that that's what speaks the gospel to people. And I think that even if I never get to witness my best friend accept Christ as her personal savior, I think it's just a simple act of speaking those stories over her as an impartation. And then I give God the room to do what he has to do and I keep her in prayer. And you know what I mean? And I don't feel the need to try and control the process. And I think that that's something we lost our way in. So though, you know, like bringing that up in conflict, is like, how do we handle conflict with unbelievers as well? How do we handle conflict when it comes to relationships? And I think that there's an intentionality of choosing to connect, which requires humility. And I get why when we walk in love, there has to be um, a desire to serve the person. And I believe that if we're called to serve one another, and how, you know, that unbelievers will know us by the way that we love each other, that's in serving one another. And I think that that's caused me to learn the true essence of celebrating my singleness. And I think one of the ways that I've learned to celebrate my singleness is by learning to love by wanting to connect with you and I think that um, you know, real quick, like one of the things I'll mention is that my name means to to hear, to understand in Hebrew and I think as I started to dive deep into that, I'm like, oh my God, God has a huge gift that he planted in me that requires me to understand um, at a level of depth you know what I mean, and so that's why I'm trying to be intentional here that like, you know what I mean? Like when I'm hearing him talk, like when, he, when, you know, my friend was apologizing to me, like I was hearing his heart, even though he was writing me through a Facebook message. It was like I was hearing his heart through every single word and how heartfelt it felt to me. Why? Because he was speaking my apology language, which was for me, accepting responsibility and genuine expression of the desire to change the behavior. For me, just a simple admission of him saying exactly what he knew he did wrong and how it completely spoke to exactly what I knew he did wrong and like the fact that he apologized for exactly that. And that alone, without dismissing, without trying to make excuses for it, without dismissing my feelings, he just simply apologized for exactly what he knew he did wrong and it was just amazing and i felt like it was such a the most manliest thing i've ever seen a guy do and um and you know for you men out there take some hints <laughs> do what you need to do and i think that there's a lo- there's a type a certain type of woman that can handle that but i really do think that if you got a humble good woman who knows when she's wrong and knows how to admit it that's something that she deserves and the type of respect from you that she deserves in return and not only that i think when you have a good woman when you respect her and you honor her she like gives you 10 times more than what you're trying to give her because it's kind of like it turns into this like i'm going to outserve you and i do believe that i'm that type of woman but it's like You know, most guys, when they see you so openly apologetic, um, I don't want to say most guys, but there's some guys that can see you overly apologetic and sometimes they take that as weakness. And that I can play this girl and run stuff instead of them seeing it as this is an act of strength. This is a strong woman that can do this and admit that she's not a perfect woman. Because what you see is what you get and that's how it should be when it comes to dating. So I don't waste your time and don't waste my time. And so with celebrating singleness, I think it's just important to celebrate um, conflicts. You know, like I had a friendship with this guy, which was so amazing. Um, Him and I had become really close friends. This is my last story I want to share before we start finishing up. But like him and I had become really close friends. And with him and I, the interesting thing about him is that we would Every time we would get really close in connection, um, there would be like a little bit of an argument that, w- that it would build into. And then we would get through the argument and connect the deepest we would ever connect. And then everything would be great for a while. And then something else would trigger it. And then something else would turn into an argument. And it was, seems like it was like every month or so, it, we would get into an argument. But the interesting thing about this guy is that he had the same goal as me. We were both kind of mature. We had talked so much about our weaknesses and things that um, there was more of a trusting relationship between us two. So I had simply like, you know, mentioned to him, like, you know, like we talk about like how we felt, you know, and I'm intentional about mentioning it in a way that doesn't make him feel like I'm blaming him, but just my experience. And then he connects with my experience and then he tells me his and then We talk about it like it's a discussion, like we're not like really internally not trying to have war about it. Um, And what's interesting is one of our last arguments, him and I literally argued for an hour and a half, two hours. And then once we made up, it was like an hour and a half, two hours of just talking about the future and all this other stuff. And it was just amazing because he was one of those friendships that made you realize how important conflict is. Because what it felt like is every conflict that we had felt like it was accelerating our connection and it was making us connect so much faster than we would normally. And so that's why I really just like um, appreciated him for who he was as a man, because it was causing me to like. learn how to connect through arguments and it taught me how to not let the sun go down on your anger. To learn how to connect with someone in such a way that allows you to prioritize connection over, con- over um, being right. And, you know, unfortunately, towards the end of our friendship, he, you know, um, you know, things started to change and turn for the worse. So, but, you know, at that point, you start to learn um, what starts to turn into unhealthy conflict. It's like, you know, is this person using conflict to control me? Those are questions you got to ask yourself. Like, is this person coming in this conflict with humility and, um, and looking to resolve it? Or if they aren't, do I have the ability to stand and really be able to bring clarity in a way that allows me to stay in a place of peace? Or does this person come at me so crazy that it's hard for me to Stay in peace. And at that point, I think that you have to create that boundary and know it's safe. And I knew that the way that things started to turn into towards the end of our friendship, I just knew it wasn't safe anymore. But you have to learn you. You know, I started to learn that when when I open the depths and the weakest place in my heart and someone wants to control at that point, um, that's kind of like, you know, something I'm not open to allowing in my life. So that'll be something that I'll be like, hey, you know, like, I can't allow this type of behavior in my life because it's unacceptable. And um, it's unacceptable that you would use my weakness and my emotional connection with you to try and control. So, um, you know, but I've learned to kind of just like, If I am going to end a relationship to kind of just do it in a little bit more of a healthy way, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's much better. Um, (laughs) like I know I said that was going to be the last story, but I'll share this very, very last one. But I had this girl who wanted to be mentored by me a couple of, um, like a year or two ago. And, you know, before I could really fully ask God about it, I just kind of jumped in and was like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? And then, um... So, you know, like I go to, um, you know, like I'm mentoring her and it starts to get harder. And then um, and then I connected with an old friend and him and I start to hang out and things like that. And it was great. And then um, things start to get weird with this girl. And um, and then I think out of like we went through so much and after everything Um, I saw her like act like basically what started to frustrate me is that she gave me the impression like she really wanted to grow, like she wanted mentorship to grow in relationship with Christ. But really, it just kind of felt like she just wanted to appear like she was growing. um, But she wasn't really after growth. She just had an agenda. And I just got so frustrated because for me, actions speak so much louder than words. I don't care what you say to me. But when your words, when your actions don't align with your words, I get really frustrated. And I saw her post a video that was so inappropriate and so counter everything we were talking about that I got so frustrated and text her and told her, I'm no longer interested in mentoring you. And I just basically just told her like, that was exactly what we talked about. And you exactly defied exactly what I asked you to work on. And I just felt like, you know, her desire to change wasn't real. And so um, I just told her, you know, and then after that, I didn't talk to her. She was hurt by it, obviously, naturally. Um, and then I didn't talk to her for a while. And then when I went through my apology season, where I just apologized to everyone, she was one of them. And I texted her and I was like, you know... I wanted to apologize for the way I ended things. And I think she started expressing how hurt she was. And she wanted me to apologize for all of it. And I was like, no, no, no. I meant, I should've, I knew I should've um, closed that chapter. I knew that that chapter was done. Um, That was supposed to happen. I believe that God was taking me away from that situation. Because at that point, spiritually, it just wasn't good for me anymore. I was like, I don't regret walking away. I regret how I walked away. And her and I was able to resolve the connection and restore the connection. But in a way that she still understood that I was still not interested in mentoring you. However, whenever you do want advice and you have moments where maybe you have a quick question or some sort of direction you would like or whatever, I'm totally open to that. But I'm still not... I'm still not feeling like God's leading me to mentor you, but I am open to, like, you know, like, um, I just wanted her to just know that, like, again, I apologize for how it ended. I should have been better. I should have been more the mature one in this situation, and I shouldn't have let myself get triggered the way that I did and allowed myself to handle it in a better way. And so, you know, we ended up restoring the connection. I apologized to her and told her I cared about her and I believed in her and that I was hard on her because of how much I believed in her. And once she started to really understand that, I think um, the more I spoke to her, the more I started to understand her apology language was really for me to ex- um, genuinely express the desire to change my behavior. Um, and really for her to really just know that like, I was taking responsibility for how I handled it. And I think once that was real for her, it was easy to restore. So I say all of that just to say that I think humility is a huge part of conflict resolution. And I think while humility feels counterintuitive, I don't think humility is a natural part of our flesh. Humility is something we have to work at. You don't have humility by accident. You have to have humility and be intentional about having humility, like intentional about, you know, how you handle conflicts. Um, You know, I know that it's easier to run away than it is to sit in that and really listen to this person say things that probably even hurt your feelings but to sit in that and be like this is their experience this is not who I am and I think that that takes real true identity like when I know who I am and I know that I am God's princess Jesus is like God's princess I know who I am I am a daughter of the most high I am royalty and when you come from that point of view you start to understand that Jesus' example was to say that no matter what you serve and, um, and no matter how you look at it, you always find an opportunity to bless your, and forgive your enemies. And it doesn't mean that you accept their behavior because um, I do believe it's important to cut people off when they're unhealthy in your life. But I do believe it's important also to, at the same time, always acknowledge the part that you played. And the rule that I always have is that I believe that anytime you have a conflict, there's two sides. And I think that my way of always thinking through the eyes of humility is that I believe that if there was a conflict that ended off totally bad, that means that we both have something to apologize for. And I'm usually active about trying to figure out what could I actually apologize for that I was actually wrong for? And um, without making it about me, but more so the spirit that I might have been influenced by. And that's usually through the eyes of how I usually apologize. What spirit did I allow to influence me that made this triggering session totally explode? And, um, and that usually helps me to get it right on the head to restore the connection to its fullness. Um, Because that's what the enemy doesn't want. He doesn't want you to have authentic connection. And I think that conflict, when we adjust how we look at it, take it away from, if you grew up in chaotic arguments or you never saw your parents resolve arguments, so when you have any type of chaos that starts to happen, you kind of just totally run away. I challenge you to just... Learn how to listen and don't take offense to what the person's saying. Just understand it as that's how they experienced you. It doesn't make it who you are. And I think that when you remember that, it makes it easier to be like, okay, I hear you and help me to understand how you felt during that. And that is, um, I think, the shift of everything. Anyways, today, again, we are the the celebration of singleness. And I think on the celebration of singleness, it is so important that you remember who you are and that you remember there's ways to celebrate yourself and that you celebrate life and you celebrate being present. And I think when you celebrate being present and conflict may arise, which is natural, you celebrate being present so much that restoring the conflict is important when it's also, um, when it's an opportunity to minister to someone and show them that you care about connecting with them more than you care about being right. And, um, and that's the advice I can give the world in these times is that people are, a lot of people are suffering from anxiety. And even people who didn't know that they were struggling from anxiety for a long time, just realize that they are. I think a lot of people are hurting, and so when you do get people who react, um, angry and all this other stuff, I at the root of that is fear and hurt and injustice, and um, I think this is the best time to love on people and to love on them through actions, to to stand in peace and to be peacemakers and to serve. And, um, and to really look to connect with people more than being right and to accept the fact that people think differently from you and to not look to connect with people who only think like you, but to help me understand you and help me to accept how different you are and how we can still connect and be humans towards one another. And I think that that right there is the picture of, of what Jesus wants us to look, um, have other people see community in us. And I think that that just comes from celebrating singleness. Well, I love you guys. And I want um to kind of just pray over this too, because I think this is important. But Lord God, you are a defender, Father God. You are the lover of our souls. And we bless you and we honor you with our minds and our hearts, Father God. And God, we just thank you that you give us every day to celebrate and that no matter what, God, that we sacrifice everything to you and that because we sacrifice it to you, we're unwilling to let anything take your place. So, God, we don't hold on to a mate so tight. We don't hold on to a job so tight. We don't hold on to anything, God, but we only hold on to you so tight. So that way, everything else is just the glory that manifests from our relationship with you and how much we desire to be directed by you and how much we only want what you want for our life, God. We honor you and we thank you that our life is an example of who you are. And we pray that with every action that we um, move in, God, that it allows others to see you. God, I pray that no matter what starts to manifest in our life, That no one is more important than you. And so, God, we thank you for this lesson today of conflict resolution. We thank you that you're giving us um, the strength and the humility to turn to you and let you heal our hearts so we can be able to gain understanding of not just the kingdom of heaven, but also other people around us, the desire to really... Um, stand in the gap or intercede for our brothers and sisters through the eyes of understanding of their situation. Help us to grow in discernment and empathy and to understand one another's, to feel each other's pain, God. For those especially that want to shift and are looking for you, Lord, we bless you, Father God, and we just thank you and honor you with our lives and our bodies, and we say we give it to you, Lord. We bless you, Father God. Touch our single life. We pray that every single lesson that you teach us every single storm, every single thing that we go through, that we always look for the lesson and not get caught in the trap of our feelings, God, and not get stuck. We bless you, Lord. Father God, we thank you for purpose. We thank you for calling. We thank you for identity. That isn't just something that we say, but is seen in our actions. We love you, Father God. So we thank you for joining. Oh, in Jesus' name, sorry. But we thank you for joining the celebration of singleness today, episode two of Conflict Resolution Series. Who knows? It might be two episodes, maybe just one. Who knows? We'll just see how it goes. But um, I um, again, if you have any questions emails or anything you want to send me of maybe a situation you want me to give you some advice on, my email is S-H-A-M-M-A-D-I-E-U-J-U-S-T-E at yahoo.com. That's shamadijusti at yahoo.com. Um, Please just hit me up. Don't be afraid. Leave a voice message. Whatever you want to do, just um, don't be afraid. I'm totally open. I'll try and send you the message back as soon as I can. Um, thank you so much for hearing me um, and my heart. And um, And please, it doesn't matter what it is. Please just speak what you got. Speak out. Um, if I don't answer back, if it's like negative or anything, I may not answer back. But please believe I'm always praying for you because you matter. Thank you. Love you guys all.